Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Leveling Up and Lactation podcast. We are smack in the middle of Black Breastfeeding Week 2023, and hopefully you all are enjoying. I also hope that you all are resting, (laughs) especially if you are a Black lactation professional, because we deserve to enjoy this week, too. Um, I made a post that sometimes it doesn't feel like uh, it's as fun (laughs) as it should be. Um, and maybe you can relate to that. Um, but reminder, the leveling up and lactation podcast is a podcast I created to highlight, amplify, and just document the journeys of fellow black lactation professionals. And this week's colleague, I think you all are going to enjoy. It was a little bit longer of an episode, but I think it was definitely worth it. Um, her story, she was very candid in sharing in a Facebook post, um, that she did not pass the first time that she sat for her LLC exam by one point. And so I had to know a little bit more information on how she bounced back from that. So without further ado, this week's colleague is Angelica Knight. Angelica Knight, MS, IBCLC, entered the birth work world originally as a doula back in 2020 when COVID first hit the U.S., With a specialty in exercise physiology, she set the goal to support families through unmedicated birth with movement and expanded in education and advocacy through her experiences. Even with supporting labor and birth, she had minimal experience with postpartum care and lactation. Acknowledging she had a gift for things in the clinical setting, she pursued her IBCLC to better support Black families with breastfeeding care within hospitals. After completing the P2P program at NCAT&T, she now works in a level four NICU supporting human milk and breastfeeding during the day while pursuing nursing school at night. Her goal is to continue to provide independent lactation care to underserved communities, as well as broaden her services to midwifery through nursing. Angelica, thank you so much for joining us for this episode of the Leveling Up and Lactation podcast. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. I've been moving this morning. How about you? I'm doing well. Thank you so much. And I'm so excited to have you on. Um, I've been keeping an eye out on most of my guests, but specifically um, your story, because you, you're doing a lot since getting started <laughs> in 2020. You got a lot going on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, you're not the first to say that. And in the, you know, being in the middle of it, I'm like, I feel like I'm not doing enough. But then everyone around me yeah. like, girl, I'm like, yeah, okay. I see what you mean now. So. <laughs> Exactly. And that's why I love this space and why I created this podcast is sometimes we're just in the thick of it and we're just moving, moving, moving. And we never really have that opportunity to kind of stop and take heed and really look around and say, wow, I've done all these things that I've had on my to-do list. And I haven't really kind of dedicated time just to kind of enjoy and appreciate myself and my body and all the energy that I've put into getting to this point. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right there. <laughs> yes. <laughs> So what I like to do with everyone is just kind of take a glimpse back, right? So we're going to dial back a little bit and share with me a little bit about pre-lactation Angelica. So when you graduated high school, was there a set path on what you wanted to do when you grew up? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Uh, So for me personally, I wanted to be a physical therapist. I was very much a student athlete. I ran track and field. I did long jump and triple jump. So I was one of the girls that was, my head was always in the books, but when it wasn't, I was outside. Mm. And that's kind of been my childhood. I was the tomboyish, you know, 
always doing something outdoorsy. So the idea of my career being based in physical activity was really, it made perfect sense to me, right? Yeah. So everyone else before I left home for school was like, are you going to be a nurse like your mother? And I was like, absolutely not. There's no <laughs> way you will ever see me do that. I have watched my mother be a nurse my entire life. She's actually entering her 40th year of nursing this year. Wow. That woman is a dedication that has, there's no way, you know, we always gush about our moms, but I've never seen someone so dedicated to her patients in a way oh. that even now working with providers and nurses, I'm like, why aren't there more nurses like my mother? Yeah. <laughs> so I will say like, I was a little intimidated by it. I was like, I cannot own up to that. I can't, I can't get out of that shadow. So I'm just going to go a completely different route and do physical therapy. Mm. Academically, I did great. I had a three, seven, three, six, did all the internships I could, applied to nine PT schools and did not get in. Wow. I was heartbroken. I was like, oh my God, what am I going to do with my life? Uh, you know, the typical lamenting of, or the grieving of what we thought was supposed to be our lives. Of I course. wanted different route, went to grad school, still in the field of exercise, but that was kind of how I got exposed to exercise related to pregnancy and postpartum. And I've just, that just sparked everything, right? I was mm. like, why is this not talked about more? There wasn't even a lot of research on it anyway. So I kind of like to think that everything happened the way it was supposed to, because yeah. here I am still incorporating a lot of my exposure to the sciences if I didn't have my undergraduate degree or my graduate degree, I would not have been prepared to enter lactation considering my science-based courses that I would have needed. So I just think, you know, I believe in faith. I believe in, you know, God and a higher power. I think everything happened how it was supposed to. Yeah. And considering I still don't have no kids and I have not latched a baby to my own, <laughs> I'm going to take it as it is. <laughs> I love it. And I mean, that's just divine alignment. So I love hearing those type of stories. And also for those that are listening that may also not have any children to know that that's not a requirement to get into this field by any means. So absolutely, <laughs> this not. is your sign. <laughs> and I'm glad that you're bringing this um, um, exercise related to pregnancy and postpartum. I have never heard of that before. So I'm getting exposed to this as well. And that piques my interest as well as someone that had an unmedicated birth and kind of probably use some of the things that kind of go into it, but not knowing that this is like an actual thing mm -hmm. is, is registering well with me right now. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. That's, I, they call me the movement doula around these parts. I said, I'll take it. I will take yeah. it. <laughs> Love it. So I imagine a lot of those skills translated or transferred well into the lactation profession. Share with, a, with us a couple of those skills. Yeah. So, I mean, undergrad, when you're in an internship or a clinical setting, you're doing a lot more observing, right? But graduate school for me really put me in the, in the hot seat of operating. So I did my internship at a very prominent teaching hospital here where I am in Greensboro, or I think it's Winston-Salem, North Carolina. And mm -hmm. I was exposed to all kinds of ways to navigate with all kinds of different people. And that kind of made the clinical part of me click. I, I had been in clinical settings my whole life because of my mother, but I had mm. never thought that it would fit as easily as it did. Huh? So I have a patient that has X, Y, and Z going on. This is what their diet looks like. This is what kind of, you know, surgical events that have happened. 
what are our next steps to get them through this 12 week program and planning that process. So my brain started to understand a clinical piece of this care, but because of that clinical piece partnered with my interest into the doula world, I had the clinical piece, but also the empathy and the emotional care that I realized a lot of people feel that they don't get with really any provider. Like the idea of, oh, you actually care about me. You're talking about me. You're asking about my mental health. So I think my shift into this role has been really beautiful because every experience I've gained from 18 to 28 has built me up to this moment. And I'm forever grateful for that. Love that. And so what was the, the pivot that transitioned you into lactation for a lot of people it's having your first child or, you know, some type of interaction of, of that type of, um, man, my words are not coming to me today. So that type of experience, but what was your kind of like pivot into birth work and then into lactation? So finishing my graduate degree, I realized, of course, I wanted to learn more about pregnancy and postpartum and exercise. So I got an opportunity to enter a research project where we were studying pregnancy and postpartum and how exercise affected them prenatally and postpartum and how it affected the children. So I was like, oh, this is perfect. I can learn with this organization, with this project and, you know, build other connections. I entered this program and I was really the recruitment coordinator. So I was the one Mm. calling the moms, showing up to the mom's prenatal appointments, breastfeeding classes, childbirth egg classes, trying to recruit them to this study. And what I started to notice was when I would call them to see if they had their baby, they were telling me some traumatizing stories. And I was like, mm. what is this? What, 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 what? And as someone who, who I had never been through childbirth before, I was like, is this normal? Are we supposed to be experiencing these kinds of negative reactions when it's supposed to be this bright experience of bringing life into the world? So yeah. The study itself was more observational. So we weren't supposed to do anything. We're just supposed to watch. Mm. And that didn't always sit right with me. I felt very stressed about that. Started talking to one of the childbirth educators who I was attending classes, her class to recruit the women. And she said, hmm, it sounds like you would make a really great doula. <laughs> and I was like, she said, I said, what the hell is that? What, 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 what is a doula? And then she gave me some information but I always joke and say being a doula is like a secret society because I was like where the hell yeah. how do I get a training how do I enter this space so I I think I, I really appreciate her planting that seed and seeing something in me that I did not even see yet because I found a training I found my mentor and I kind of threw myself into birth work at the peak of well not even the peak the beginning of COVID I did yeah. my training that Saturday, they shut the world down that Thursday. Wow. So here I was, like, ready to get my feet wet, and the hospital said, uh-uh. Pause. Loud in here. So <laughs> that was my entrance. I, I came from a very clinical research background and was like, all right, I can't ignore these women and their, tra- their trauma. I have to do something. And I sidestepped. And left, I left the project because it would have been a conflict of interest, got a mm. lower paying job because it would have been more flexible and pursued being a doula. So that's how I got here. I attended seven births my first year. How I did that shit, I wow. don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I 
was like, yo, I did it. I don't know how. I stuck in some of these hospitals. They don't know that. So hopefully they don't. <laughs> but I did. I And I think everyone around me was like, wow, she, she actually did it. I was over there surprised with them, to be honest. Yeah. And what you mentioned, I think is very common just in birth work in general is that sometimes in order to get to your goal, you have to take a step back. And that may look like taking a job where it's a reduction in your income temporarily so that you can have more room to pivot to get to your goal. That's something that I had to do and what Mm -hmm. a lot of our guests have to do. So for those that are listening, if you feel like you're stuck, it may mean that you, it can feel like you have to go backwards for a moment in order to kind of get to kind of like your full potential in the next space. Yeah. Now to get to lactation, I will be honest. (laughs) I didn't know anything. I, the, after the first couple of clients and they expressed they wanted to breastfeed and then after baby was born and they looked at me like, I want to latch, I realized, oh hell, <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. I don't, I don't even know what I'm supposed to be looking for. And thankfully with all those families, it worked out very well, right? But mm-hmm. I realized I cannot go in here unequipped knowing that these people are leaning on me and also paying for a certain level of support. So I, I had already seen it, you know, social media was definitely popping during COVID because we all was in the house. Yep. I had seen that a recent uh, P2P program had started locally and it was at A&T, North Carolina A&T University, home of the Aggies, Aggie Pride. <laughs> and I was like, I could do that. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it seems like a very, ex- I mean, it'd be worth the investment, right? And it included, I went to an information session. They talked about how you would be in the hospitals getting clinical experience, all of these things. And it was a graduate program. And in my mind, I was thinking, I've already done a graduate program. What's another one? So (laughs) I know I I need to stop thinking like that because I will spend my whole life in school. But (laughs) it was only a year. That was the other thing. It was only a year. I was like, I can do this. This is a year. And I went in a little skeptical because I was, I won't say I wasn't taking it seriously. It was more how much information could there be? And then I got sick of it and was like, oh, hell, (laughs) there's a lot that could actually be going on, to be honest. So I fell in love with lactation and clinicals because I saw, once again, this kind of returned me back to my previous experience being in a hospital setting knowing how to care for a patient, meet the patient's needs. So I felt like, oh my gosh, I think I've actually found it. I've found my niche, my, you know, where I'm supposed to be. So I was super excited because I love going to clinicals, even though I won't get paid. Um, I love (laughs) like talking about what I learned and it took so much information. I was just, I'm, I'm I feel like I'm a student at heart, a student at life. So Being able to be exposed to so much in that year and being able to learn so much, not just from my preceptors, but my peers, I I think that was 2021 to 2022 was a very monumental year for me educationally. Gotcha. And it sounds like with the clinical piece that may have been around the time that you fell in love with lactation, is there a specific Mm -hmm. type of um, thing with a a patient or something that you, you can recall that kind of like sparked that love? I like puzzles, I think. So whenever I would get a call that mom was struggling to maintain a latch or, you know, something wasn't going on and I would go in and and these are outpatient appointments for clinicals that I'm seeing this and I'm like, oh, 
that baby has a heart-shaped tongue. That baby has a tongue tie. Or, you know, maybe mom's volume isn't there, figuring out why her volume isn't there. Are you still having bleeding? Or, you know, is it oversupply? What, what, how is baby doing at the breast? How is baby emptying the breast? How is your, is your pump doing the job of emptying the breast? So I like the idea of asking questions and finding answers because that's what makes my head tick a little bit. Yes. And I think that's so important for people that work, not just in birth work, but specifically in lactation, is to always be curious. You may know, right, when you first look at something, what the answer is, but we always have to make sure we're teasing it out because sometimes it can surprise us. And we also want to allow, for me, I always want the parent or the mom to come to the conclusion themselves mm -hmm. by asking those questions. And then it kind of hits them like, oh, this is all clicking now. And then I'm able to reinforce that suspicion. So mm -hmm. I, I love puzzles too. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so you mentioned the P2P program. I have a suspicion on what that means, but can you break it down on what that is and why you chose that pathway by comparison to the other two? Yeah, so I, so P2, the P2 pathway to program that Auntie offers is one, I think, I don't want to get the number wrong, but it's very, very few that they're actual college institutions that have this certificate program that you can mm -hmm. take classes, be given your didactic learning, be given your clinical setting, sign off on all these expectations that you have to check off by graduation, right? P1, I believe, I was not already a nurse or a, or a speech language pathologist, so mm -hmm. I already knew that that was not the route for me. And mentorship, which is pathway three, I, I am very particular. I think it's because I know my learning style. I know I'm one mm. of those people that I can sit down and read a book, talk to someone about it, have someone educate me about it. You know, repetition is my thing. And then I go into the clinical setting and practice what we talked about. That yeah. is how my brain has been. I, I know in some ways some people may think that that's, you know, a result of the system that I'm in or I've been in my whole life and it is. But why not use that to my advantage and know that this is the best way for me to learn information efficiently and execute Absolutely. it hands on. So P2 was always an option. As soon as I found out we had a program, I was excited because Mentorship would have just taken forever. I already know. I think it's 500 hours you have to do. And some mentors charge a hefty price for that 500 hours. And yeah. I wanted to feel what I felt about the P2 program as well was not only am I getting my actual experience to know what kind of LC I'm going to be, but I also had the right people around me teaching me how to prepare for this massive test. With yes. mentorship, there would have never been a guarantee of that. And I, although I'm very academically aligned, I am also somehow the worst test taker. <laughs> like, I am like, I guess that comes from being so critically thinking, my, like having the mindset of being a critical thinker, because you're yeah. so, well, I mean, it could be technically two out of these four. You can make a case for each yeah, answer. Can, yeah. So and that's where it's like, dang, I just shot myself in the foot a little bit. But it's crazy because once that happened, I realized, or once I realized that that was going to be something I needed, I knew that mentorship was not the option for me. I knew I had to go the traditional route. 
And I think that's such a great point that you po point out of identifying what is your learning style, right? You don't have to go against the grain, go into what flows. So it's almost like if I'm right-handed and I'm going to choose to go write something left-handed, right? Why? Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. Right. So really identifying what's going to kind of like flow and align with all the other outside factors that mm -hmm. you've already been through, through life, what's going to be sustainable. And so you, you can't just kind of like copy and paste. I want to go Angelica's route because it went this way and I'm going to try to replicate that because everyone's going to have some type of nuanced experience coming in mm -hmm. to that pathway. So you really want to take some time to really sit and figure out which lane you're going to kind of pursue and then speak with people that have done those pathways just for some inside knowledge or you can listen to the podcast well um, about how those different mm -hmm. pathways can go um, just so that way you're you're more prepared once you're in it. Yes, because specifically with my P2 program, our final exam that second semester was a mock IBCLC exam. Wow. So I already had 175 questions of, and I felt like even walking out of that, I, you know, we got our mock scores or whatever, but it was not surprising that the first time we tested as a group, we realized, oh, wow, our scores were really similar, similar to the test that she just gave us. So it helps you know, okay, where are my weak points? I may be good, you know, clinically or diagnosing, you know, these these oral restrictions, but maybe medications is something I need to focus on right now because the exam can have that information. Yeah. So I really appreciated the the time that our advisor put into building a program like that because whew, I don't know, I might I would have been in there more blind when I <laughs> had not done that. Yeah, and those practice tests can be really illuminating. I opted to do the IBLC um, practice exam. And I think when I tested in 2020, it was the first year they brought it back around. Mm -hmm. But it did the very same thing that you mentioned is that you're able to kind of see the windows or areas where you need to really identify your focus leading up to the exam. Because it was like, okay, I feel really comfortable and confident. I don't need to go through this stack of flashcards, but I really need to kind of circle back around to, you know, this area. So that way I can feel more confident going into the exam. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. So I'm curious on what was the biggest challenge on becoming an IBCLC? You already mentioned as far as going through undergrad, going through grad school, choosing to opt into another grad school program, all these different hurdles that you, you know, you pivoted and excelled at. What was the biggest challenge with becoming an IBCLC? That damn test. <laughs> I, failed, I failed it the first time. I did. I was mad as yeah. hell too. What, what hurt, I failed it. Because everyone around me, even my classmates, were like, oh, Angelica, you got it. And I was like, I don't think y'all understand. This test is, is the bane of my existence. This yeah. is horrible. And I missed it by one point. Oh. One point. I'd be sick for days. I, I, cry, I had so many interviews lined up. I cried. My partner oh. yelled me while I cried. And it was just a hot, you know, and, and, and that's one of those moments where you really question is this really for me? Right. Because I did all this work. I had already been, you know, working in the community, using what I had learned. And I think what it came down to, I, I, I of course, you know, therapy. I'm, I'm, I am a therapy person. I go to therapy. Same. And my, my therapist was talking to me about, well, look at where you were at right before you sat for your test. And I was not in the right headspace. Mm. I had been experiencing a lot of stress and loss. Um, my family had actually lost a couple of, you know, close members in that time frame. Mm -hmm. So my okay. mind was not focused. And 
that's how I managed to miss it by that one. And accepting that it happened the way it was supposed to, because I grieved, of course, for about a week, two weeks. But then I buckled down and said, okay, are you going to really let this go? Or are you going to do what you got to do? Yeah. And I realized how bad I wanted it. And even in reviewing and studying again, I realized how much I truly did know. And the second time I took it, I walked out of that test knowing without a fact or without a doubt that I had passed. I was like, okay, just give me my stuff. I know I got it that time. First time I took it, I was like, oh, God, I don't know what the hell just happened. I hope that it works. Um, So I'll say the challenge was really getting over the hump that was the test because it's almost like as you're trying to prepare yourself to enter a new career, you still have aspects of your previous career kind of holding you, not holding you back, but you want to be present in both places. But once again, like you said, you have to make a choice. So I'll say like, I know I had some times where I knew I was supposed to be studying, but a client went into labor and I didn't get home for two days. So that's two days that I lost when I could have been preparing, just saying, oh, I'll get to it. Did I get to it? Maybe, maybe not. But even so, did I do as well preparing with what I had missed in terms of that time? So I think it really taught me, like, it's okay to put it down. Like, even now as I'm entering the era of, uh, I have one more doula client and then I'm done, it, it's a very, I'm, I'm probably going to grieve this a little bit too, but yeah. I cannot make promises to be somewhere when I know I have other roles where I have other people needing and depending on me too. There's, there, there comes a time to be accountable for what roles you take on and how you're going to show up for people. Yeah, you've made some really great points. And one of which really understanding the context of we have like this, you know, itemized schedule or calendar of when we're going to be mm-hmm. studying, when we're going to do X, Y, and Z, but also know there's going to be some things that kind of come out of left field and the reality mm-hmm. of kind of just, you know, other um, responsibilities that we have in other avenues of our work, personal life, et cetera. So for people that are studying right now or trying to like formulate a plan, allow for flexibility with within right. that plan. You don't want to have it too rigid. And then you have the reality of, you know, you're wiped out for an entire week and you're not able to, right? So mm-hmm. that's why doing those test exams here and there in that studying process. So that way you can identify, okay, if I only have this much time left, where do I really need to focus that study mm-hmm. time? So that way you're not reviewing stuff that you can recount in your sleep, Absolutely. right? The other things that you mentioned is with, with anything, there's going to be seasons and chapters. So, and it, it is grieving, like when you have to step away, whether it's from like a job or a role or a title, and it's exciting because you're curious and want to kind of get to that next season and chapter, but it's also equally important to kind of go through the process of feeling the feels of stepping away from something that you feel comfortable and confident and that you still enjoy. It doesn't mean that you had like a negative experience and so it's shifting you to something else, but it could simply mean that you're really ready for a new challenge and ready to kind of shift over. Mm -hmm. And that I think all the feelings you're expressing is completely normal and something that I've experienced as well. And it's, you know, it can be a little bit unnerving. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, my gosh. Anxiety and I are, like, best friends. I can't get yeah. rid of them. Uh, so, yeah, I yeah. agree. So, if people are listening, you feel like you're you're a little trepidatious. You're kind of one foot in, one foot out on something. Really just kind of sit and identify 
and sometimes you're you're stepping away for a season and then you circle back right yeah. but if we spread ourselves to do all of the things and we're not able to give our full potential to anything right mm -hmm. so you may just need to kind of shift over lock into that for a few months years etc then you're able to kind of re-blend and re-emerge if that's something you choose to do down the line absolutely and so with getting into the field of lactation, I'm curious on if you, you notice any challenges of kind of how you were going to uh, work within the space. We know there's a way that you can do like peer support, teaching classes. I mean, you come from a very clinical kind of like background and setting. Was it always the objective to be an IBCLC and kind of work in that capacity once you learned about it? Uh, yes and no. Like, so for right now, I know I work in a level four NICU, so I get to see all the itty bitty babies and support those families through a lot of traumatizing experiences. So I will say clinically, I did not know I was going to be a NICU IBCLC. And I see why yeah. so many people are anxious about that role. It is a lot, right? But I will say that I would like to pull away a little bit and focus on education because mm. I think education is one of those things where if we put more emphasis on knowing what to expect before we give birth, before that first, oh, I think I want to latch, you can make the postpartum journey a little bit smoother. Now, yes. I'm saying this in regards to full-term parents, right? I've had patients now I mean, I planned on going to a breastfeeding class at 37 weeks, but baby came sure. at 32. So that's not the population I'm talking about. I'm talking about the ones who do have time and still kind of, whether they forget, because pregnancy brain is a thing. I, mm -hmm. um, <laughs> yep. I only talk to people and they don't remember what I just said. And versus, you know, even if they do take a class, it's almost like they can forget in an instant. So yeah. I think just being more accessible in terms of the education that we can provide as well as community support, because even if we don't want to attend a formal class, I think that's valid, especially considering it can be pricey or not in a budget. Yes. But if you have mm -hmm. a sister who breastfed, an aunt, a mom, a cousin, your grandmama, anyone that is in your village that can offer that support that is just as valuable as a prenatal education class around breastfeeding. And yes. I was actually talking to my mom about it. And my mom's a boomer. So she was born in the mid fifties, but <laughs> she was like, y'all are built different. Y'all don't have the same sense of community that we have. Like our generation, we don't gather at family cookouts. Like we used to, we don't mother on mothers the same way that they used to. Like mm -hmm. you had your baby, your aunties and your mom's, grandmother would come everybody would come and help mother the mother while she took care of her baby and gave her what she needed I can say in my personal experience from the people that I have connected with that's not something I see in the same capacity so I think the reason why I push the prenatal education now is because I don't see the community in areas yeah. where we have more community maybe we don't need to take a, a formal class sometimes we do because I know you've heard of some of these myths that we need to debunk. Yes. <laughs> um, I do think um, when you have someone encouraging you to, to breastfeed your baby and it's, and it's someone that's close and like home to you versus yes. someone who may look, I may look like you, I may be a black woman, but you could be like, she's just trying to get me to do this because this is her job. It's different yes. from your mama. 
Exactly. You trust <laughs> that the, their motivations, their intentions. And that's why I love, love, love when grandmothers, aunts, the partner comes to the classes. Mm -hmm. So that way we can address their concerns. We can make sure that everyone's on the same page. I can start building that rapport because when they step away out of that consult or out of that class, they go back into their home turf in that yep. environment. And if their teammates are not on board with well, whatever mm -hmm. you all just discussed, guess what? <laughs> you got a problem. <laughs> exactly. So you're absolutely right. And having that community and, you know, being proactive versus reactive, I mean, is huge in terms of. I think first and foremost, just parents and moms having control, feeling Absolutely. like they have control and they have choices. And so with that in mind, that's something where sometimes we, be, we get these letters, right? And we want to do all the really challenging, difficult clinical stuff that we learned about, but it's really the basics that really get you to that next step or can prevent them from having those really difficult clinical stuff. So and people are listening and they're like, oh, I can't wait so I can do these tongue ties and do all this different body movement and different things like that. We still need those providers that really have a skill and being able to educate on these basic things. So that way we're able to, because the, the goal isn't to have everyone have these complex cases. Right. <laughs> That's not the objective. And I'll, <laughs> even say, <laughs> I'll even say where I am right now, the NICU I'm in, it is very much a teaching hospital, a teaching NICU. Some of these providers don't know nothing about no darn yeah. breast milk. They will, yeah. they don't understand the, some of them don't understand the importance of it, right? Some of them don't even value the role. They see me walking by and they're like, oh Lord, here she comes trying to talk to this mm. mother about X, Y, and Z when we have donor milk. Well, guess what? What happens when you say that they can't have donor milk anymore? This mom needs to be able to decide what she wants to do. Or what if they don't want to supplement with formula? What if she wants to supplement with her own milk? Let's, let's, I guess Absolutely. what I'm saying is like, I wish that providers got more than that three hour seminar on breast milk and lactation. Oh my gosh. In their seven years of residency. I'm just saying, because mm -hmm. especially being in the NICU when you're like, but do you know how beneficial this is to this early baby? And they do, but it just shows they, they lean more into the fed is best. As long as the baby mm -hmm. has something versus let's talk about this baby's immune system. If we, if we don't utilize mom's milk or human milk. Yeah, 100%. And that leads me into the next question of what are a couple of maybe pros or cons and working in like a hospital specifically in the NICU setting by comparison to kind of outpatient with your private practice. Well, one of the providers I work with is definitely on our team and I love her to death. She is, she is our biggest advocate when dealing with the other attendings um and i think also an, another con would be some of the nicu nurses are very fresh like fresh i don't know how some of them i think some of them are fresh out of nursing school as of earlier this year wow. and some of them have never had children now does that mm. mean that they can't do their job absolutely not but if i'm the only lactation consultant on the floor and five of y'all want to latch five different babies at the same time. What? How many arms do I have? You don't know how to latch a baby because you've never latched a baby and your nursing program didn't really have a lot of information on that. So now you're dependent on me. And now I'm running around like a chicken with my head cut off. So yeah. I will say I appreciate that the nurses 
find so much, you know, comfortability saying, hey, I don't know what I'm doing. I need you to come. But right. a little bit more autonomy and being able to feel comfortable providing a certain level of care would be nice as well. Uh, I will say some pros, though. I done seen a lot of shit. i have not been in this role for very long but the things i have already learned i know i would not have seen half of this if i was independent practicing right Mm -hmm. these people wouldn't know how to find me they and then there's you know certain language barriers in some of these situations so i will say that in terms of what i'm learning there's there's nowhere else i would want to be and it's teaching me how to be better at my job and how to support people, even down to supporting people with disabilities. Like just anybody who has given birth and is capable of lactating, there's no reason to deny them the right to latch their baby, right? So yeah. how do I approach someone who may not be able to physically hold their baby or physically burp their baby? Let's talk about how to make sure they have adequate resources. So it's really put me in a pro mindset of, have I done everything I could to make sure that this client can meet their goal? And I think if I was in an independent practice where I am now, it would be a lot harder to feel confident. And I don't know what to do. I'm so sorry. Versus being able to go back to my office where my other colleagues are saying, y'all guess what I just saw. Can we do it real quick? Because I don't know what to do. And then they help. And it's, it's, it's nice to be able to have a home base in a hospital like that where I'm not sitting here by myself doing everything by myself, I can definitely lean into the other LCs who are also lovely black women, thank God, to help me problem solve what I'm dealing with if I'm unsure about myself. Love that. Love that. And I think that's such a great perspective and you kind of referring it to like your home team, your home base, you have like those teammates that you can kind of internally rely on by comparison to those of us who are working specifically like solo private practices Mm -hmm. we can try to piecemeal that together here and there but having that continuity with having those familiar faces that you build a rapport with that you trust um, their feedback on um, I imagine that is super helpful especially in that early transitional period when you do become an IBCLC so that way you're not just kind of kicked out of the nest (laughs) yeah and left to your own devices so For those that are listening that are trying to identify the pros and cons of where they want to kind of even just start working. Anytime you're you're in a setting, it doesn't mean that you're locked in there for forever, oh, right? We talked yeah. about seasons, so. <laughs> I might be across the country by this time. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and that's the beautiful thing about this credential is that it's international. You're not yeah. locked down to one setting. You can always shift around as um, family dynamics change, as you get older, as you just simply choose to switch things mm. up a little bit. There's not really any extra things that you need to do. You just need to decide on which thing you want to do at which time <laughs> right absolutely Whew. okay so we just finished going through all the things that you're in in your bio you mentioned that you're in, in nights or nursing school at night you're, <laughs> you're your last doula client you work in the NICU you have your own private practice doula service so how in the world do you balance and manage your schedule <laughs> I have experienced uh two failed relationships <laughs> <laughs> um Ooh, it ain't nothing like going to a birth after your heart been broken, boy. That's oh. um, I I will say it helps when you have 
a partner who is just as busy. I do have a partner now who is just as busy and running around the gotcha. as I am. So when we come together, it's like, oh, I missed you too. Um, I have learned that when I'm in work mode, work mode is work mode. And when it's playtime, mm-hmm. it's playtime. So with that being said, having certain, so I'll say, for example, like every Friday night, I try to give myself that half, well, I won't say half. I'll say about two hours blocked off to just get in the tub and just be with myself. Um, that. that, yeah, whew, if I don't have my bath for the week, I am, I'm like a person who has not had a Snickers. <laughs> uh, I also find a lot of uh, healing and relaxation in reading, whether it mm. is for entertainment. I do like, you know, fantasy and, and other kinds of fiction but also as someone who still likes to learn I like just learning about things that I hadn't thought about so sometimes snuggling up with a good book is how I decompress Mm -hmm. um obviously I'm very calendar oriented (laughs) Um, (laughs) so I already have in my calendar when nursing school ends and when it starts back up again I'm about to be in the streets from that point in time from when school ends (laughs) So I am very on off switch kind of person. Um, I have been, it is a learning process because I wasn't always like that. I was over give, you know, you can't pour from an empty cup. I was giving a lot of myself and I was starting to experience burnout. I wasn't giving myself space and time. And, you know, when someone relies on you and tells you that they want you there, it's hard to say no, but learning how to say no has also been a beautiful thing for me too. I had a, um, I was at her home birth last year and it was very hard when she got, gave me a call earlier this year to say, Hey, I'm expecting again. Are you going to be available to be my doula? And I was like, Oh, oh why you got to be I can't do that. I can't do that, sis. Oh. So it, it's, it's, when you realize that you're just as invested in these things as they are, it makes it that much harder. So I will say I have learned how to say no. I've learned how to turn that switch on. I've learned how to take a step back and really just acknowledge, okay, how do you feel right now? Did you wake mm-hmm. up on the right side of the bed? Did you get enough sleep? All of those things are things I try to take into account at the start of my day because my days can be kind of long. So I just try to always come back to my center and, you know, be a little aware or introspective of how I respond or how I communicate with people. Because I'll tell you right now, even this man that I'm with right now, he will tell me, what's wrong with you? (laughs) I won't even know that something was wrong with me. I just be like, nothing. And then I'll sit there and I think about it. I'm like, oh, dang, you know what? You're right. I did just kind of snap at you. (laughs) I'm so sorry. Or even my mom, what's wrong? I'm just tired, Ma. Are you just tired? Mm-hmm. I'm tired and I'm a little hungry. You know, all these things that come to mind are are ways that I try to keep myself centered. Being busy is something I really take a lot of joy in because I like to think that I live life to the fullest. So mm-hmm. I want to make the most out of each day, but I also have to know what my limitations are because I'm human. Yes. And I love that mention of basically having like this internal check-in 
with yourself each day to really kind of sit with how is my body feeling? Is my mm-hmm. shoulder tense and sitting up? Like, am I relaxed? My boyfriend will chime in and I'll say, like, I have a headache. He's like, did you eat today? And I'm like, oh, you know what? You it. <laughs> they be knowing. <laughs> so sometimes it's simple things, but if we don't identify that and tune into ourselves and that can snowball into just a poor day all around when we can mm-hmm. kind of just have that first internal check-in at the beginning of the day, be intentional with things like staying hydrated and getting some fresh air and sunlight. <laughs> and learning how to let go. I will not yes. forget one time I had run out and came back home and this man ate my mango and I was <gasps> mad about that all day. He was like, oh. it's just, it's, it's not that deep, but you don't understand how my heart was set on that. Was ready, was ready for that mango. And you done threw my whole day off now. Are you going <laughs> to apologize? <laughs> <laughs> I love that. And I always like to kind of bring in the humanity into this role and into this space, because sometimes, you know, we're, we're always helping, helping, helping. And sometimes our clients, our families, our colleagues can forget that, hey, we're human too. Like sometimes we need to take a step back. We need a break. We make a mistake. We need, you know, we need help. You know, all those things are perfectly normal and just kind of lean into it, especially if you have the type of support system in place to be able to do so. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, look, I'm quick to be like, these people think I'm perfect, and I'm probably the most flawed person I know. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I do not have I feel exactly the same. Whew. Yes. Yes. And so I'm curious with, with zooming out, and if you're comfortable sharing, yeah. what's a quote-unquote big audacious dream in regards to the field of lactation that you have? Oh, man. I'm going a, I'm to a, I'm a go real left field, and then I'm going to bring it back. I want to give... Okay talks and speeches to large yes. rows of white people about why we are where we are in terms of lactation, especially with, you know, black breast milk, because yes. I feel like it's the elephant in the room, mm-hmm. especially if they're all IBCLCs, because, you know, we account for less than 1%. I'm like, let's get all of y'all in the room. Let's, let's talk about this. How is it that y'all are taking up all this space, but we are the reason you're here? Mm-hmm. And this is not something I say in terms of trying to shame people, but I feel like in this era, politically especially, there's a lot of attempts to sweep things under the rug. Yes. Not have real conversations. And I don't know, maybe I'm just messy like that. I don't think it's messy. I think it's honest. Let's talk about why breastfeeding rates are the way they are. Let's talk about why the infant mortality rate is the way it is why the maternal mortality rate is the way it is, especially with black women and women of color. Like as someone who had a lot of preceptors who were white women and heard how they spoke when they thought I could not hear, how Mm -hmm. come you are in this role? How come you are the one talking to the nurses at the nurse's station about, I don't know why I even have to go in there. And when I go in there and she sees me, her face lights up because she sees that she sees, she sees an ally in yeah. Whereas when you walk in, she already is looking at you like any other doctor. Let's talk about it. So maybe that's a little messy. I like to do messy stuff like that. But that's a little audacious, maybe. Maybe one day there will be an IBLC conference where I can get all of them in the room and just say, so let's talk about it, y'all. Let's talk about how y'all really be talking. 
some of you really be talking because you know you got you can't be very general. But on a on a lighter scale, <laughs> I my long term goal is to become a midwife, and that's why I'm in nursing school. I really am not excited about being in nursing school because who? am I doing well I am but you know it's it's a stepping stone because of the state I'm located in um I'm in North Carolina so you cannot just become a CPM it is considered a felony practice so I am taking a long-winded route to a to a goal I want but in that odd that you know that bodacious goal that you're you're talking about to be a midwife who can adequately have all the resources and connections across the state, especially my home area of the state. So I'm from Greenville, North Carolina. I don't know if you're familiar with North Carolina and how we laid out over here, but we country. Not too much. We in the boonies. If you are east of I-40, you about 10 years behind in terms of infrastructure and roads. Um and I will say, like, even though I'm located closer, I'm on the west side of the state now. When I go home, I can definitely hear conversations that are had about a lack of access, not just to doula care, lactation care, you know, midwifery care. A lot of people, I guess, because of how hard it is to serve over there, if you don't know someone who's already dedicated to serving that community, it's harder to go back. So mm. I'm hoping that my audacious goal is to, when I get the right credentials, create the right appropriate network that stretches all across the eastern side of the state and even all the way to the west side where there are all these mountains and spacious areas that also get less coverage of birth work related care. Because where I am now, it's pretty much, we call it the triad, but there's still some little pinnacle pieces of, you know, small little country towns but I know growing up when I left when I left my hometown at 18 and came this way I was like oh my god I felt like I was in New York City and now that I've actually been to New York and I'm like oh this is a nice middle there was literally like you had to take a train and then drive 30 minutes into town wow so yeah I now understand. I remember I used to think growing up, why do people stay here? Because they don't have a way out. (laughs) If you don't have a car, there's literally no way out. How are you going to get somewhere? There's one bus system that has six buses and it stops at 6 p.m. So after growing up in that space of knowing how rural communities are especially affected by a lack of access, I'm hoping that I can create a network like that. Love that. And I'm always going to be team call a spade a spade. So I'm with you. (laughs) (laughs) I'm also curious. I was going to say, for those of you who don't know, A&T, North Carolina, I don't know what Black person don't know what North Carolina A&T University is. It is a historically Black university. So if you know most of us in the P2 program are Black, all of us were actually Black in my cohort. And you're going to sit here and talk about Black people in front of Black students? What the hell? Yeah, yeah, they were. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm sorry, go ahead. I'm also curious on what your mom's response was that you were going to nursing school. Oh, she was mad as hell. <laughs> she was mad. Well, I, okay, I'll say this. She was mad as hell in the beginning. Mm-hmm. 
She's like, why are you always in school? I said, I don't know. I said, enough. She did. And I, I, I respect and love my mother so much because, I mean, when she broke it down to me, I she was just like, I just want you to finally be happy with what you're doing and just relax. Yeah. You're always putting yourself under stress and doing all these things. And I hear her and I heard her, but I was just like, Ma, this is bigger than me. And she's like, why does it have to be bigger than you? Why you always got to be mm. so selfless? Why can't you just enjoy yourself and enjoy your life for a moment? And I just remember being like, oh, okay, mom. <laughs> Fast forward to two weeks ago, she sent me a care package and she gave me her stethoscope that she had when she was in nursing school. Oh, my God. So, I mean, she just now makes it. I told you so a joke that moms make. I told you you should have just did nursing the first time. You should have just did it when you was in school <laughs> 10 years ago. Maybe you're right, but you know what? I'm glad I did it. I'm doing it now. Um, so I, I I, think it was just, you know, I'm the youngest of her three daughters. Mm. And I think I'm also the one that's always doing stuff. I think she's just watching me and she gets tired. <laughs> fair. <laughs> she's like, girl, sit down. Fair, fair. <laughs> There's so much work to be done. Yeah. And, and it's something where I think a lot of us, once we learn about birth work, once we learn about lactation and we see so much that needs to be done, we're like, I got to do it all. I got to do it all. And it has to be right now. Yeah. And then we get to a point where we're like, okay, I can still do more, but it doesn't have to be expedited. I can mm-hmm. take my time because it's a, uh, not a sprint. It's a marathon. Right. Yeah. So when you get to that that point, my unsolicited piece of advice is to not feel like you're doing something wrong <laughs> when you choose to pause <laughs> or slow down, because that's how we get burned out. And we have people that are in the field for three, four years and like, yeah, no, I'm done. Mm-hmm. It's because we have to know that we have to pace ourselves because it is... Uh, a mammoth <laughs> to try to <laughs> conquer all the things that we want to conquer. But my objective is really to kind of help bring more people into the field that look like me oh, yeah, <laughs> and have positive intentions. Cause I know at some point it's going to be this handoff exchange of that baton, right? You mentioned mm-hmm. being in track and field and running relays and stuff like that. It's not meant for everybody to do it all within their lifetime, but we rather want to set the next generation up for success and make it Absolutely. easier and more rewarding for them. And I think we're, we're achieving that for sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, so yeah. with all of that in mind, this is an emotionally draining profession. Even being a doula, I imagine, is as well. Girl. So what are those <laughs> what are those whys that keeps you going on those more challenging days? Huh. The why is... I can say I'm gonna get a little spiritual here for a second. Mm-hmm. I, I, it's a calling at this point. Like the way I was, the way I was pulled in, and the way the dominoes fell to enable me to show up for people, kind of is the fire beneath my wings a little bit. Because initially it was, oh, I want to do this work, right? It, you know, very, very naive I'll say like I want to show up and help people like that's usually the mentality we all have when when we have a service mindset but when you realize what you're actually showing up to I remember the first traumatic birth I experienced I my client was not the only one I was traumatized too this I had experienced Mm -hmm. trauma with them and you know realizing what you take home 
what you do when you're there with them, what you're doing leading up to the birth. There were a few moments where I stopped and I questioned like, what am I doing? Why am I here? Am I really supposed to be doing this? Did I take on this load to, to without, without, you know, being mindful. And then I'm pulled back in and I hear almost like this calling saying, you're exactly where you're supposed to be. Even when I feel like I'm not necessarily showing up and doing my best, or I feel like I failed them, they're looking at me like, oh my God, I could not have done this without you. That yeah. is what keeps me going. Um, and I, and, and I, I also point out a lot of times to, in comparison to white doulas or other ethnicities is when I get calls from black women about needing a doula or needing lactation, it's usually from a point of fear. It's yes. not, it's not, it's, I don't want to go in this hospital and I don't want to die. I don't want to have this experience. I don't want this to happen. And to show up and empower them in a way, even knowing that sometimes I make mistakes and my, you know, I'm still learning as I go, it is humbling to still feel like such a focal point of that experience. Because there are some times where I'm tired. <laughs> mm-hmm. Even before this, like I've gotten, I've been called to two births in 48 hours. Like I did not have time to rest. And it is hard to keep going when you know that you are pretty much pouring from that empty cup I was talking about. But then you go and you, because you get that push from spirit from even to me sometimes I feel like it's from my ancestors because yes. mm-hmm. it's there's not enough of us already and we need you to show up until there's more of us so I I think that's what keeps me going the it's never been about you know quote-unquote catching babies or holding babies it's, it's been about making people feel safe and mm-hmm. making sure that I can create that safe space and if there is something that happened traumatically, I I still want them to know that I'm physically here and that, you know, I was there too. And we can process this and take our time together. I'm very attached to my clients. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. it's hard to separate sometimes, um, especially when you feel like as soon as they latch onto you, because uh, you realize, oh man, you really need me. I've gone into yeah. births with single moms. Like it's just me and her. And those are the ones where I feel like, oh yeah, I can't, I can't go anywhere. I have to be here at this moment. So I think that's my why. My why is knowing that I'm needed and I'm desired. I can't go anywhere I'm not wanted. That's that's yeah. me speaking personally. If someone is really wanting me to be there and I can show up and I can promise them that I'll be there, I will. And when those days get really draining and it's really hard, I have God telling me. I'm going to give you strength to finish through with this because some days I'd be like, Oh my God, they just called me 3 a.m. I got to get up and drive over here. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's beautiful. And it's something where sometimes we can arrive with the empty tank, but we leave filled up because we see how we've made an impact and, you know, we're, we're, we're doing what we said that we could do once upon a time. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it, for me, it's like, I'm looking at myself from overhead being like, I'm actually doing this. I said mm-hmm. I was going to do it and now I'm doing it. Like, and so you get like that resurge of, of energy just from being there. So sometimes the challenge is just getting to 
the space. <laughs> yes. Oh my God. We're just getting in the car and going, child. Exactly. And then once you're there, you're like, okay, I'm exactly where I need to be. Mm-hmm. And that's where, you know, God, spirit, ancestors, spouses can help <laughs> to wake you up and get you up and moving mm-hmm. to do what you wanted to do. So I love that. I think it's beautiful. Thank you. All right. So we have been all over the place, but looking back to where you started, it sounds like peak 2020. What is one thing you would go back and tell yourself with all of the experience and knowledge that you have today? Mm. Patience. Mm. I feel like I'm not going to get too deep into astrology. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But one of my signs is Sagittarius and we're known to be impatient. Mm. And I can be emotionally impatient because it's my moon. So all that that means or translates sometimes is when I want to see things happen a certain way and I don't see it happen a certain way, I get very down on myself. I actually can be a little pessimistic about Mm. why am I doing this? There's just everything that's in the way that is not letting me do what I feel like I need to do. And here I am, like you said, we're three years later. And because I remember when COVID happened and they shut the hospitals down. And I was like, oh, why did I just do this? I just said, I just quit that job. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm doing all these things. What the hell is going on? I, why can't it just, I think I made the wrong choice. And lo and behold, like you said, I waited it out. And, and new things came up. New things were handed to me, right? So, and even with certain birth clients, like being emotionally patient with, expectations of them not knowing what they wanted to do or them not knowing Mm. what their plan was. Like, I think internally I stressed myself out more than I needed to. I don't think any of them ever could tell that I was stressed. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know how I feel. I'm just going to watch how you feel. But I know Mm -hmm. I created a lot of internal stress for myself and Stress is one of those things that I'm learning as I get older that we have to do better about managing it for our own personal health. Mm-hmm. I haven't had any issues yet, quote unquote, knock on wood, hopefully not. But I know how how intense it can get for me. And trying to be aware and allowing myself time and space to process things rather than going from zero to 100. Um Because emotions is where I feel like I have a lot of, you know, I have emotional intelligence, but when it comes to myself and I feel things, that intensity, I don't, I don't have as much of a hold or control on that whenever I'm stressed or upset. Uh, So I'm trying to do better about patience because I, I don't know what it is. I feel like as I've gotten older, I've gotten more impatient. (laughs) I, I, I think it's common. Yeah. I was like, yeah, why am I upset right now? This is crazy. Because if this would have happened five years ago, I would not have cared. (laughs) Right. I think as we learn more and we experience more, then we understand kind of the importance of kind of each individual moment, transaction, Mm -hmm. decision, et cetera. So that's how we can build upon that impatience. And one of the, the thing that, that rings in my head daily from my therapist is sometimes it's not about trying to swing the, the pendulum from super low to super high, but some days just about maintaining where you're at. Absolutely. So you don't have to put exert additional energy to try to shift one way or another, but simply can you maintain 
the space that you're in right now until you have more resources, more time, more energy mm -hmm. to move a direction. So that has been the saving grace and she imparted those words over a year ago. <laughs> mm -hmm. Ooh, I'll be, I'll be hot. Yes. <laughs> I don't know what it is. I didn't even know. I, I mean, I've known I had a temper, but it has not flared so easily. And I think that's why it's good to have people around you who know you. Who yeah, are they know your that. baseline. They're yeah. Like, okay, she's in, she's having a moment. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. <laughs> Okay, so for those, we know that a, a testing cycle just, just ended over the spring. We know the next exam is coming up in the fall. So for those that are listening that maybe they didn't pass, what would be some words of wisdom, some guidance, support, anything you would share with them? As someone who did not pass the first time, I think the best thing I can give to you is forgive yourself. Yeah, I want to start with that. That test is also not... Um, a reflection of you or what you know or, or anything like that it's it's literally uh it's literally a place it's put in place to gatekeep mm -hmm. um it does not mean you don't know what you're talking about when you help people it does not represent anything like that if anything it's a way i think it's just a way to make money to be honest at this point Ooh, um, don't get me started. <laughs> <laughs> um but I will say, if you did not pass, go go look back and see, because they give you your score report. Mm -hmm. See where your weaknesses are. Ask yourself how you felt when you were taking the test. I know it may be hard to look back that far, but I still remember how I felt. Give yourself an opportunity to focus on those weak points. And what I ended up doing, you know, if you don't know your learning style by now, figure out what it is and, and optimize that because regardless of how you feel about the test, if you really want to have this opportunity to be in this setting, this is, this is one of those things you got to power through. Um, mm -hmm. Lastly, I want to just add, don't tell me my brain just lost it. Hold on. What was that mm -hmm. talking about? <laughs> <laughs> um, talking about? Oh, okay. I got, I got it. Sorry. Mm -hmm. If you are a birth doula, do not take no clients that month. <laughs> Smart. <laughs> I'm being very serious. And that seems like something that would be common sense. But don't set yourself up like that. Because I know people who have uh, taken that test and they had just come off a of birth the night before. You are not ready. You are not thinking straight. You're you're probably exhausted. Um so try to give yourself some grace. And that way you're not fumbling around because you got to put your phone away anyway for three hours. So yeah. just don't even set yourself up like that and take as many practice tests as possible. I like the Linda B. Smith. Gotcha. I'm going to link that down in the show notes for those of you that are curious about that one. Because I like how you could decide, oh, we are prenatal. This is for 24 to 48 hours. This is days two to four Here's a baby. This is questions about babies being a week old. Really appreciated how you could understand what kind of questions you could be prompted as for the age of the baby. Ages and stages was rough. I'm sorry. I <laughs> every time I scored low on that, I was like, I don't have no kids. I don't know how old this baby is? Yeah. I used to text my classmates, send me pictures of y'all kids. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> 
I love it. Okay. So for those that are going to be inspired by listening to your story, what would be a suggestion for how to get started? Just simply getting started in the lactation field. Mm. <laughs> oh man. Cause I kind of just threw myself in there. Yep. Same. I was a hot toddy, <laughs> man. So I was very anti-hospital. It's funny. Cause now I work at a level four NICU. Um, so when I had to sign paperwork and do all that sign up for clinicals, the advisor actually emailed me and was like, so you understand that you have to be in this hospital, right? I said, yes, very, very snarkily. Like, yes, I know I have to, um, understand that there's a method to the madness because I was, a, I still am in some ways very rebellious, uh, but she was the one who told me, she's like, you can be as rebellious as you want, but guess what? People are watching you once you say that you want to do X, Y, and Z, mm. especially as a black IBCLC. Yep. Everybody is waiting to see you fail or succeed. Yep. So 100%. when I didn't pass the first time, that was the first thing. I was like, damn, these bitches was looking at me. They were right about me, but then I came back and proved them wrong. Right. So, yes. Whatever space you want to, you know, enable yourself, know that there are going to be eyes on you that could be allies or enemies. Stay true to yourself. Know that sometimes staying quiet is your advantage. Mm -hmm. Love it. Wait till you get in the space to open your mouth. Because if you open it before they give you the hand over the You're right. You're not getting in. They ain't going to let you in. <laughs> because I already know where I work now. They're like, why did we hire this heifer? Guess mm-hmm. what? You stuck with me. Because you ain't never going to catch me doing something wrong. <laughs> Chart everything. Love it. Love it. Okay. So we have had an hour worth of stimulating conversation. We are going to move <laughs> into our next segment um, called the letdown. And this is going to be rapid fire. Yes. No short answer. Are you, do it. are you ready? Okay. All right. So my first question is if you could only use one resource to study for the ABLC exam, what would that be? Linda B. Smith. Do you feel becoming specifically an IBCLC was necessary to do the things you want to accomplish in the field? Yes. If you could switch places with any lactation professional for one day, who would it be? <laughs> Nikki and Nikki. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and then if you could only name one, who is someone within the profession that has had the greatest impact on your journey so far? Jania Mitnall-Williams. Mm-hmm. And my last question is, what is one word you would use to describe your journey? Promising. Hmm. I love that. All right. Angelica, thank you so much for joining us. Please share with us how we can stay connected. Website, social media, podcast, share with us all the information. Oh, thank you. Uh, my Instagram is blue moon underscore doula. Facebook, same thing, blue moon doula services based out of North Carolina. My podcast is called Our BBL Pod. <laughs> also known as Our Black Birth Life. We talk about all things birth related and being a black woman in the world of birth. Um, so yeah, that's that's where I am. If you ever want to find me, my website is bluemoondoula.org. You can find all things related to what I'm up and coming and doing. I will be sure to update that just in case people want to say hey. 
Perfect. Love it. I will have all that information down in the show notes of this episode and we'll see you all on the next one. All right. Thank you so much, Erica, for having me. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the Leveling Up and Lactation podcast. Three ways you can support this show. Follow, subscribe on your favorite podcast player. It takes three seconds. You guys can scroll on up and do that now if you're not following us already. You can share this podcast with your network on social media and newsletters and texts. This may be the pivotal moment that people are needing to give them that push to continue on in this field. And third, you can leave us a review. Please be very candid, be honest, so people get a sense of what the podcast is about, what, if any value, it brought to your life and to your journey. People want to hear that. And then learn more ways to support and read more about all of our past guests at levelingupinlactation.com. Remember, as you work with families or if you're considering joining the field of lactation, it does not matter if your words are evidence-based, if your bedside manner is trash. Let's continue to level up. Until next time.